Here we go. It's the Fish Stripes podcast, and I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes. Have you taken a few seconds already to rate and review the Fish Stripes podcast on Apple? If not, please consider doing so for every new rating and review that we get between now and the end of the Marlins regular season on October 3rd. That's going to be an extra dollar that Fish Stripes donates towards the Players Alliance. You can find everything you need to know about that great organization at theplayersalliance.com. You'll notice from the cold open and from the missing phrase at the start of the show that this is not the official show. This is not my own solo podcast that you guys are used to a couple times a week. Instead, I am handing the microphone figuratively over toward our live stream operation. If you're somehow not familiar with it, we've been doing it all season long, live streams heading into every new Marlins series. The latest one recorded on Monday night. We switched up the scheduling a bit to record it on an off day, heading into their four-game series against the Mets. Uh, Some of the streams earlier this season, and even some recent ones too, I've appeared on it myself, but we have a pretty strong crew that every time out, we're running five deep, six deep. On this show, we had seven other people on it, and so under those circumstances, it'd kind of be overcrowding to fit myself into it. Instead, I ceded the floor to Ethan Badowski, Kevin Brawl, Isaac Azut, Noah Berger, Alex Carver, Daniel Rodriguez, and our special guest for the show was Jeremy Taché from Bally Sports Florida. He's their digital reporter. He's the host of their brand new podcast, Miami Miked Up, and he was great. He actually wasn't here for the entire show. He was here for like 80% of the show. And I'm going to post it here, kind of raw and unedited. It was an original live stream that you could catch. These are a couple times a week on our YouTube page, Twitter, and Twitch. Same stream, simulcast on all those platforms. I encourage you to go to YouTube and rewatch it if you like, because first and foremost, it is a visual show with fewer comments integrated with highlights that I put in. Uh, so personally, um, if I do say so myself, I felt this one was really well produced from a visual standpoint, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So if you don't already subscribe to us on YouTube, this would be a great excuse to do so and find our Fish Stripes Live Marlins versus Mets series preview show. Again, the special guest was Jeremy Taché. I'd encourage you to follow all of his work. Just a great blend of sports analysis and pop culture references and, and pure human kindness he was great with us, and this was with Ethan Badowski was mainly our air traffic controller here hosting the show, and it was me behind the scenes. So without further ado, here is the full Fish Stripes live stream from August 30th. Enjoy. Y'all ready? Fish Stripes Live, special edition, coming at you on a Monday evening. Even though the Marlins are off today, we're still coming at you because of the unusual scheduling circumstances. Tomorrow, the Marlins play at about 12.30, I believe, so it wouldn't make sense. at 1.30, yeah, 1 o'clock, so it wouldn't make sense to have a stream in the middle of everybody's day. So here we are coming at you before 
The Marlins get started in New York for a four-game series. Of course, there's a unusual doubleheader tomorrow, which we'll talk about later in the show. Um, but with the Marlins off day, it kind of gives us the chance to reset. The Marlins had a really nice week coming off an 0-7 week. The Marlins go 4-6 and on the homestand, get two series wins, just their third and fourth of the second half. And uh, they beat the beat up on the Nationals, which we talked about last time. And um, now they come in and get two of three with the Reds, which was uh, very exciting um, because Reds are playing some really good baseball right now. And that was a pretty good team that the Marlins took, got a series win from. I, you know, I said they stole that series from the Reds. So, uh, Isaac, I think you were at one of these games, but um, let's just, you know, start with you, buddy. Let's talk about what you saw and just, you know, how exciting it was for the Marlins to take two or three from a good team. Uh, well, I was, I was uh, you know, fortunate enough to be at the game on Saturday night, Dominican Heritage Night, where, you know, the, the Dominican Sandy and Jesus Sanchez came through. Uh, the atmosphere was electric. It was a really nice, it was really nice to see the stadium, you know, like, you know, not full capacity, obviously, but it was, it was pretty packed. Sandy, you know, a new career high in strikeouts, so he just keeps doing his thing. Um, Jesus Sanchez showed the power, hitting two home runs on Saturday and Sunday, respectively, and it was just a great series all around and beating a good Reds team. And the main thing for me was Jesus Luzardo coming out with his best start as a Marlin. Uh, Aram, I think he, you know, correctly set, predicted that, you know, Luzardo would have a great start, and he did. And it was just overall a fantastic week going 4-2 and two and winning back-to-back -back series. Alex Carver, let's talk about Luzardo um, since Isaac mentioned it. Best start we've seen from him in a Marlins uniform. He was great. Um, eight Ks in six innings. And uh, how much of a difference do you think Sandy Leone behind the plate made? I know we were talking about that a little bit. Yeah, well, I think it helps, first of all, that he can see again. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, they kind of asked him post game, or I'm sorry, in the post game interview about it. And he was like, Yeah, I, you know, I kind of got away from it a little bit after high school and really wasn't even wearing contacts at all on the mound, just nothing. Mm -hmm. And now he's back to wearing his glasses, which he always has done and obviously helped. So I think that's the, the biggest thing to point out is that. Um, I don't know why he would have gone away from them in the first place, but whatever. I'm, I'm glad that he's back to being able to see correctly. Uh, but yeah, no, um, Sandy for sure definitely helps. I mean, that guy has done a lot for every young Marlins starting pitcher that has come up or, or, um, or uh, you know, made his debut this year or even, you know, whatever it may be. So yeah, um, I definitely think it helps. You hear a lot of them say, you know, hey, I just trust what he was throwing down. He was throwing it down. I was throwing the pitch. There's no shakeoffs. There's no cross-ups. Yeah, mm. so I, I think Sandy really helps young pitchers, and that's his value. He doesn't do a lot on offense. He doesn't do a lot of anything else. But, man, as a backup catcher, you can't argue against him, man. And I, I'd, I'd really like to keep him around. Like, I know a lot of people say, yeah, he sucks, he can't hit. But, man, he provides a real, real good value in being able to call these young players, and it does a lot for their progression. So, Really good. Um, loved Lazardo. Changeup was amazing. He was spotting that pitch all night long. Curveball is also good. So yeah, I, I think it's it's a huge difference. A that he can see. Sandy helped him, and then the stuff was as advertised. So really good. One thing I want to ask you before I move on to some of the other guys on the screen here is just why can't the other catchers on the Marlins roster do that? Like why can't they just put down the same thing that Sandy Leone is putting down and and get the most out of these young pitchers the way that Leon has? Yeah, I guess the best answer would be that, you know, it's an older guy. You know, he probably, he's probably, he's been all over the world playing baseball, catching a lot of different mm -hmm. players between internationally, minors, majors, wherever it may be. And he just has that good rapport and relationship. He knows what guys are throwing that's working. And when it's not working, he's able to read pitches better than maybe some of the other catchers on the Marlins roster. 
Um, and then also it's, it's his ability to frame. He's a pretty good framing catcher. I think this year he's been a little down, but historically he's a good framer. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to say that the zones in this series were perfect because they definitely <laughs> weren't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think yeah. on both sides, you know, I think the Reds personally got screwed in that Lazardo game, but they definitely had a reason to be pissed off about that strike zone. But, you know, that is what it is. That's the human element, right? But yeah, I mean, just to answer your question, it's, it's a guy that's been around for a long time, man. He's been doing it for a long time. He knows the catching craft and he knows how to call pitchers. And that's a value for sure. Daniel Rodriguez. Let me welcome you in here, Mr. Mullet Man. Um, you know, t- just talk to me about what your impressions of the series, and then with Lazardo, just continuing to talk about him, what your, um, you know, biggest takeaway from his start was. And looking at that series, like I, I was there for the one loss, and I was like, that was the Mike Mustakis game where Wade Miley just completely went off, and, and then seeing the other two games, you know, the pitching performances w- were great from Sandy and from Lazardo. And this has been Lusardo's best performances of the year. I think maybe even in Oakland, too, this is his best pitching performance. And I think that really gives a lot of hope for the Marlins and the front office to see him perform. And not perform just against maybe any team, but against a solid team in the Reds, a team that can hit hit for power. I believe they have a couple of guys on some hitting streaks right now. And just seeing from that, I think that gives a lot of hope for the Marlins overall in the front office, seeing that this performance, hopefully he can – bounce not bounce back but go ahead and perform like this for other games and also for a 2022 because this is a good sign because it's a deep rotation if Lozardo's pitching like this Noah I know you are the reaction master so obviously I think a lot of people have been really concerned about Lozardo's performance related to the fact that he was what the Marlins acquired for Starling Marte and Marte has gone over to Oakland and stolen every base that's been in front of him. So does this settle that feeling a little bit for you, seeing Lazardo pitch well? So with Lazardo, and I, I'm on the record saying I was going to give Lazardo time. This is not like me just saying give Lewis Brinson time because I was totally wrong about that. Um, no, Lazardo needed time to be with Mel, to be with with our with with Sandy Leone to put his glasses back on, to just... <laughs> Sorry, I just read that chat. Yeah, Peter got me. Yeah, you got Peter. me good. <laughs> it's the best chair. This is this chair, it I, looks, I've had this chair for like more than a decade. I it looks truly fantastic, dude. I can't even lie. It looks tremendous. I'm going to recline but, on one of the streams, just lay back and, and listen to another Kevin Rant. <laughs> Noah, Noah, sorry to interrupt, man. Continue, though. No problem. Um... I was very excited to see him perform on Sunday. That was that was amazing. And on the Marte thing, he's leading. He he he's going to be in the top ten for stolen bases in both leagues. Insane. Like, come on, it's insane. He's, he's a good player. He's a fantastic player. Yeah, he, he really player. is. All player, tremendous player. He's got forty two consideration. He's got forty two stolen bases. I mean, nobody's going to come close to Otani, yeah. and yeah, uh, he doesn't hit the ball for enough power. I would say to be in that contention but uh yeah i mean obviously he's just fantastic and it had been a little frustrating you know seeing lazardo and and worrying that maybe it wasn't fixable um you know i started worrying a little bit but this certainly got me back uh you know brought i think a lot of people back off the edge you could say um kevin i want to go to you here with lazardo you know is this what marlins fans you know did this get you excited for another month of hazelus lazardo instead of just kind of dreading every time he goes out there because he had been getting knocked around so much. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, this guy, this is the best start he's made on the Marlins. I mean, 8Ks. That strike zone was a little bit too wide, I would say. But he got lucky with it. I mean, he got guys swinging. And he got a yep. – was it David Bell who got ejected that game? He got David Bell ejected. No, that was Bender. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it, was a good st- it was a good start for, for Lizardo. His best one is a Marlin. Is it a career high in Ks, I'm pretty sure? 8Ks? I mean, uh, yep. he had a good game, man. I mean, he – his control was a little bit off, but it was better than the previous games, I'll say. That's been one of his, his big issues, which is control. So, yeah, Luzardo had a good game. Jesus Sanchez quietly yeah. putting up two homers in that game. We have to talk about this guy. This guy's been insane for the team. I do want to talk about that guy, yeah. He, yeah, Sanchez is, is crazy. This guy's going to be right fielder, left fielder next season, making some good defensive plays as well. We didn't, I think we saw Dela, we didn't see De La Cruz the last game, but he's been as well solid. Sandy, he's about to put up 13 Ks into his next start, most likely at this point. He's he keeps trend. setting a new career high in strikeouts. It's a trend at this point. Yeah, like Noah said. Good good weekend for them. Good week for the Marlins. I mean, it's good to see this team winning games and they're actually they look enthusiastic about it, you know. They look like they're having fun. They're they're a lot more hyped about it. That's good to see from this team, especially with Luzardo now. With I think Eli put it on the stats. One pair of glasses. He's one and oh with the glasses. So let's keep it up. That's definitely something to keep an eye on, and I definitely think he'll at least next start be out there with the glasses on. But Hopefully. Uh, let's let's talk about Jesus Sanchez. Since you mentioned it, Kev, I would love to do that. This is a guy that I'm really intrigued by. You know, 744 OPS so far, 6.6% walk rate, 28.5% K rate, 102 way runs created plus. He's got six homers, hit two in this series, uh, and both of them were absolute moonshots. Uh, they yeah. were blasts into, you know, right uh, dead center pretty much. And then he hit one to deep, deep right back behind that big cement pole out in right field. Uh, it was really two impressive, impressive homers. But Isaac, you know, let me go to you, man. Um, just has he convinced you that this is a solid major league baseball player yet? Yeah, that's what I was going to mention on the stream today. Um, I think Jesus, if he hasn't done it yet, he is pretty much, you know, like in pencil has put himself as like a starting outfielder for next year, going to spring training at least. You know, the guys, he's hitting for power. He's a free swinger a little bit, but, you know, who who in the big leagues isn't nowadays? But he's putting up like a above average way to run created. He's hitting the ball far, 444 feet on Saturday and 415, I believe, on Sunday. These aren't, you know, they're not like wall scrapers. I was at the game on Saturday and that ball was just crushed. Exactly. It was Stanton, Stanton-esque ones. Yeah. Which is impressive, and he's strong, having good at bats. Remember that at bat in Cincinnati with like with two outs in the ninth inning, he drew like a ten pitch at bat. So the guy has impressed me, you know, great, uh, gratefully. And I think that that's one spot that the Marlins, you know, they're good. They have a left fielder or right fielder, wherever they decide to put him. But you know, they've got to be impressed with him so far. And you know, when you look at the strikeout rate, so twenty eight point five kind of jumps off the page at you. But he's a rookie, and in today's major leagues, like if a rookie free swinger comes in and is striking out under thirty percent, you know, with the way that the game is today, I find that pretty impressive, pretty encouraging. Uh, you know, I would like to see the walks go up, but it's not like that's something he can't do. You know, he walked at a a seven point seven percent clip in in the minors this year. You know, he's walked at ten percent in the past, eleven point five percent in the past, um, and he really hasn't ever struck out above twenty percent. So. Obviously, that's just adjusting to major league pitching, kind of. But you know, I, I think that it's pretty encouraging that K rate. And you know, look at a guy like Chris Bryant, right? He was a thirty percent strikeout rate guy when he, you know, when he won Rookie of the Year. And I looked the other day, and his strikeout rate is down to twenty two percent. So you know, you can yeah. 
that's something that comes with time now where guys are dropping their strikeout rates a lot. And I know Alex, you know, with following young guys so much, you see this a lot. So, you know, with Jesus, again, I'll ask you the same question I asked Isaac. Are you sold? He's a solid big leaguer in the future. Uh, You're mute. Yeah, there's, oh, no. You're there's good. definitely. You hear me? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, there's yep. definitely um, there's big league potential for sure. Um, it's just what capacity is it? Obviously, the ceiling is going to be that of an everyday outfielder, and I think he could get there because of everything that you guys just said. I mean, I, I've had the same thing as you just said, Ethan. I want to see the walks go up a little bit. Six point six percent walker. He's only walked like nine times, I think, or ten times or something like that. So, you want to see that improve a little bit. But as you said, that will come with time. I mean, I, you 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 guys asked me about it. When he came back, you're like, what does he have to do? What do you want to see? And I said, I want to see how he readjusts to major league pitching. And I think he's doing that very well. I mean, when this guy stays back and gets his hands to the ball, <laughs> you're going to see home runs like that. It's absolutely monstrous, legitimate power. Um, there's a couple guys in the organization behind him that have the same thing. It's just a consistency of contact is what you need to see keeping up, right? Um, you know, because as Isaac said, he can get out in front of stuff. Um Pitch recognition isn't really there yet, especially against good breaking stuff, this major league level breaking stuff. He does struggle against it, and he is striking out. But as you said, Ethan, it'll come with time. He just needs to get bats. And I'm so glad that he's back. I'm glad that he's healthy, got over COVID, uh, you know, got over his struggles last year where he came up and said he wasn't really confident, looked supremely confident, having fun on the field, playing good baseball. And that's what it's about for a growing kid. So I think he's going to be really good. Definitely think there's a chance that he reaches that ceiling of an everyday outfielder. But floor, you're talking about, monstrous power off the bench so either way good to see and then i guess this discussion kind of flows into brian de la cruz right because these are two guys that are trying to show the marlins that they belong in the outfield in 2022 as a starter um you know i think a lot of us on the stream have talked about de la cruz as a fourth outfielder in the future but with the way he's been hitting you know it's going to be hard to keep him on the bench even when he does come back to earth a little bit because the stats will be pretty good you know you're looking at a possible guy that's maybe you know an 800 ops type guy um that hits for in the 280 290 range if it all comes back to earth a little bit so um you know uh daniel i'll go to you here on this one man um continuing to impress de la cruz you know again and um what what do you think about his prospects in terms of is he showing you you know he the marlins should give him a chance to start every day in right field next year See, that's just going to be so tough because, like, their outfield already is super thin. I would like them to make some moves in the offseason where there's some trades or, or some free agent moves to, to get maybe a real veteran solidified outfield, like, um, just rotation there. But I could see Brendan LaCruz get some reps, especially maybe as a fourth outfielder because, for me, he's really been impressing me defensively. Like, he's just yeah. been a, a monster there. You see, like, a highlight play every – almost every game and then hitting, I think is, he has a really great average. He's hitting balls. I think that's a guy you could probably even maybe move up a little bit more on the order. It's maybe eight, maybe put him around six, maybe even five potentially. But I think he, he's been really great so far. And they've won that trade by a million miles just right now. And it's only going to get better. This is in, an insane stat that Eli has on the, on the, uh, you know, on the screen right now that over half of his balls that, are put in play are landing uh that's just crazy it's completely unsustainable obviously which is why i think all of us are expecting you know it doesn't have to be a regression right it can just kind of be a coming back down you know just a a 
it, it's settling in, right? Because this obviously isn't going to last. So he's not necessarily going to fall off and be a 200 hitter, but you know, he'll come back to earth a little bit. Um, obviously, Noah, I know you love this guy. You know, you, I, you're I've obsessed with this guy. Off, and I've, I've I want to mags yeah. train. I am firmly on the De La Cruz. Um, I, I, I don't see him as a fourth outfielder. I see him as an everyday outfielder. I, I, it confuses me how a player that's playing so well can be seen as a backup outfielder. It honestly confuses him, me. Kevin, well, go well, ahead. Jump in there, Kev. Yeah, I mean, let's say they bring in Brian Reynolds, which possibility. If they give up the right pieces, Brian Reynolds is on the team. Would you still put in De La Cruz? I mean, I haven't seen enough of Brian Reynolds yeah. to know. Uh, and I and with the way with the way Brian did, the, the answer is you're not. I mean, Brian Reynolds is an all star this the year. Way, he's hitting like three twenty. He's, like, he's young. Yeah. He hits well. He has good defense. I'd put him in over De La Cruz. Okay, anyway. but then but here's the thing: though, Kev, so. who's your third outfielder? Then you have De- Sanchez, right, no, De La Cruz. Who's your third? Is it Brinson? Alfaro? Guys, come on, Alfaro. You can leave. I, I was about. I was gonna. I was gonna move into how much I hate Alfaro and the fact that he's actually. Come on, guys! Well after one week, now after this weekend, bro. Come on. After this weekend, Alfaro I still the want him gone. Of the future, guys. Come on. I, I still want him gone. Like the uh, way I see it, the way I see it, they yeah. need two outfielders right now. Jesus Sanchez kind of like lifted the weight a little bit. Jesus Sanchez, okay, you could for now put him in either right or left. They need mm-hmm. two outfielders. Brian De La Cruz putting him in as a starting outfielder for next year would be a mistake. But they are going to trade for a center fielder at some point. That's just – it's a given. They're either going to trade – They'll probably sign some kind of right fielder, left fielder. Right. They should sign two. They need it's going to be a cheap sign. Yeah, right. Yeah. A cheap sign, and they're going to do an expensive trade. And I think it's going to be someone yeah. like Brian Reynolds, like you mentioned, Kevin. So um, there you go. You need two, and then you need a catcher. So, no, Brian De La Cruz would be like the best fourth outfielder in all of Major League Baseball. But if you use him as a starter, you're not going to win many ballgames. The thing is, I, I think we're – I think – no, you know, I think – I wanted to go back to Jesus Sanchez for a second before we Yeah, go ahead. On. Go ahead. Yeah. Um. Jesus Sanchez and Brian Anderson, something I've noticed with the way they've been conducting their at-bats, they've been super patient. Brian Anderson's been working from an 0-2 count to, to 3-2 like almost every single time he's come up at to the plate. And it, I'm I'm loving the way he's he's conducting himself at the plate. And the same with Jesus Sanchez. He's working counts. He's, yeah. get, he's yeah. seeing a lot he's of pitches, great. and he's driving balls out. Now, you can critique me on the De La Cruz fandom. Oh, plus, sorry. With I thought, Cruz I thought you were and Reynolds, they're almost like the same age. They're like, I think a year and a half apart. Reynolds is 26. Cruz is, is 24, but Cruz is turning 25 this year. So they're relatively in the same age. If they're in the same age, I'd rather have someone more proven than Reynolds. An all-star, he has an OPS about 900. He's batting, I think, 299. Yep. Who's, and Pittsburgh, places, numbers, with the Pirates, just thinking about that, getting that kind of production with other guys. Adam Frazier's gone. He's playing gets a triple a double a lineup every single day and he's just putting up just crazy numbers brian reynolds is at the moment i would be there every day i would buy his jersey a thousand times i'll be outside looking for an autograph for brian reynolds if he came to the marlins yeah i'm looking at these numbers right now man i mean he's just a tremendous player you know 898 ops 140 way to runs created plus 10.6 percent walk rate 19.2 percent k rate those are both things he never did really in the minors. Uh, it was pretty rare for him until like he got into double A and triple A. And I mean, he's just fantastic. Uh, and he would be a great, great acquisition for the Marlins. And of course, what it does is okay, so now that locks up center field, and then you got to find the two corner spots, right? So Jesus Sanchez with his power to potential, you know, he's you won. think, okay, that's pretty, that's that's pretty much uh 
pen. That's, that's in pen, yeah. right? That's in yeah. pen. And then in pencil, you might have Brian De La Cruz because you know you have to see what happens when his these numbers are sustainable, right? You know, nobody hits 355 in the major leagues anymore, and certainly nobody has a 508, you know, BABIP anymore. So these things are going to come back down a little, right? And it's like, how? Yeah, Babip is the worst. No, but you know, a hundred plate appearances in for Dela Cruz, it's been a really good first impression. And I mean, I think Daniel mentioned it. You know, to trade away Yimmy Garcia and you get back either a starting right fielder, which I think they, you know, depending on who they bring in, right? Like they could play it kind of like the Cooper Duvall situation at the beginning of the year, where you know you wait and see if one guy kind of takes the reins from somebody else but um you know man that's a pretty good option to have for um yumi yumi garcia yeah this is the this is a topic that i definitely want to get into when we start talking about the mets because um you know just just crazy but what's going on there with hobby and you know i understand really disliking getting booed but um before we get there, you know, I want to keep talking Marlins. Um, I really want to talk to Jeremy about Brian De La Cruz yeah. because I know he's been a huge advocate of him as we kind of await the wonderful, awesome, spectacular Jeremy Taché from Valley Sports Florida. I know all of us are super excited about having this guy on. If you don't know him, him the digital reporter for Valley Sports, he's got the the uh, Jer- he's, he's got his podcast now, Miami Miked Up. Um, you know, he's doing all this stuff on Valley Sports, and he's basically uh, the more culturally aware, uh, pop culturally aware, slightly older version of me. Uh, Jeremy and I get along really well, so really excited to have him on the stream here. You know about his work with Swings and Mishes as well. Um, but yeah, I'm super looking forward to talking to him, and I think we can all just kind of you know, bounce questions off Jeremy. And one of the things I definitely want to ask him about is Brian De La Cruz. But as we stall until... Um, <laughs> Until Jeremy arrives, which we're expecting about five minutes from now, um, I've got somebody, a, somebody, give me something here. I've Go got, ahead. I've Alex. got a rant on Javi Baez. We'll we'll he, get to the oh Mets yeah. and we'll get to the Mets when Jeremy gets on here because you know we usually kind of go I, to the I'm, preview I'm of the series the end of the, All right, Why Noah's got a rant. Alex Jackson. Alex Alex Jackson. Like we, that's another guy got traded for, and we've heard almost yeah. nothing. Yeah. about him or seen anything i think he had a home run in his debut or his debut yeah. series and then he's just fallen from the face of the earth like what's up with that guy that's what i want to figure out about him because we the traded to ball we I traded it was a stop pretty piece. no he can't hit the guy he yeah. just he flat out can't hit you know can't catch. can't catch can't hit i don't know what that trade was craig mish has you know said it repeatedly i don't know what they're thinking on that trade adam yeah. duvall was my mid-season mvp for this team he was an he will be a huge asset for the any playoff team especially the braves and to, I don't know, that, you know, I'm not the president of baseball ops. I'm not a general manager, but that trade from the outside seemed a little peculiar for yeah. Alex Jackson, who, you know, had, it's a 2014, I think, 2014 draft pick, and he just hasn't put it together offensively or defensively for that matter. So that was, uh, that one sucked. I've, I've definitely, right. I've definitely soured on this one. Uh, you know, at the time I was like, all right, Duval wasn't going to be around next year. Um, you know, take a flyer on a catcher he at a position have, of need and he could have been here next year. Um, he could have, yeah, he, he, he could have been, been here. And I think the Marlins really be. should have made an, a, a better effort to keep him here. Yeah. And Alex Garver, since we're on this topic, here we go. I finally, I found somewhere to go. Um, talk to us about Peyton Henry because he's heating up in Jacksonville a little bit. He's the other catcher that the Marlins acquired at the trade deadline in the John Curtis trade. And so they kind of saw like 
you know, these guys as possible backup options, you know, Jackson and Henry, but you know, Henry's making a play and it, and it looks like he's playing pretty well down in Jacksonville right now. Yeah, no, been better uh, for sure. Started out really, really slow with the Marlins and in this past week he did really well. Um, hit a couple homers and power looks legitimate. Um, it's just the consistency of contact. Again, I say that about a lot of guys, but when guys are finishing out their, their polish and trying to get to the majors, that's what you want to see is consistent contact. And Alex Jackson did that in triple a with Gwinnett this year. He was really, really good for them. So I think it's a little too early to just say the guy can't do anything. He can't provide value. So, you know, maybe yeah. coming from me, that's a little easier to say, cause you know, I guess I see these guys and just don't want to give up on a prospect right away. And he was, he was a top 30 prospect for, for, for the, the Braves. So obviously, you know, there's something there. Evaluators see something there. And I mean, he has good power. He just needs to look, he needs to adjust to this major league pitching. We saw it, say it about Jesus Sanchez. We say it about this guy as well. Catchers always, always, as you guys know, offense is the last thing to come because they're learning how to handle pitchers. And this is a brand new guy to the organization learning how to handle the pitchers on the Marlins, based on the on the Miami Marlins, I almost said Florida Marlins, the Miami Marlins. <laughs> oh, you know, that's what is going to be first is learning how to handle brand new pitchers in a brand new organization, and then you worry about the offense. So, after a couple months, man, I guess I think we think we got to go the Aaron Rodgers route and relax a little bit on him. Yes, I know the K rate is high, Eli. Yes, for sure. But um, yeah, hasn't been good so far. But I just be a little bit patient with him and see what happens. But. It's not going to be a long leash, right? Because as you just said, Peyton yep. Henry heating up right behind him, and they're probably going to address catcher further. I think they should in the offseason. Yeah. So definitely, you know, hey, if and if all, major if, catcher Wilson Contreras comes in, he's on the bench immediately. So yeah. if all um, if all we, if all else fails, we can move him to the outfield. Yeah, yeah. just switch him out there yeah. like we did, like they did with Alfaro. Third base or something, like he's on Diaz, it'll work. I, I would love to see. Um, I, I just think we're going to see like Alfaro at shortstop before the end no, of the year or something at this no, point. If that happens, no. <laughs> I, I, like I will actually run out on the field and drag him off. The, the question I would is, love to see that happen, Noah. Yeah, go ahead. The question is if Henry keeps going and keeps staying hot like this, then when do you pull the plug on Alex Jackson? Right. Right. So, because you you'd probably want to see Henry, who is Rule Five eligible next year, by the way, guys. You'd want to see him at oh, the major league level. So that's the question. You know, how long do you give Jackson to prove that he can hit or or you know do well before you go to Henry? So that's your question. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we'll probably see Henry maybe September call ups to see him, which I think you're going to get to. But. Yeah, Kevin and I were talking. Oh well, there hello. he is. Hey. There he is. Hey. Welcome, hey. welcome in, Jeremy Taché of Bally Sports Florida. We are so glad to have you. Um, Jeremy, all right, let's just start here since we're kind of in the middle of floating around conversations. Okay, cool. Just your overall impressions, your kind of state of the Marlins right now, a month left in the season just about, and just kind of, you know, what excites you? Obviously, I think the first thing I want to ask you about is Brian De La Cruz. Oh, as as you should. Uh, first of all, thanks for just throwing the whole state of the Marlins out <laughs> 30 seconds of being here. And I'll shoot my shot uh, anytime <laughs> on this conversation. Uh, I love, love, love. You look video. so much like Justin Timberlake in this video. <laughs> hey, thanks. Uh, that's me also talking. Um, so you hear my voice right now. I'll give you my general thoughts on um, the state of the Marlins in that, you know, obviously the season has not gone the way that anybody hoped at the major league level, right? They've lost way more than any of us anticipated. Um, they've lost uh, more than any of us hoped for sure. Um, but 
there are still things I think to be optimistic about, and I don't think that it's foolish to do so. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing at the, my the own video. You guys are ridiculous. Um, no, I, I just don't think that um, I'm someone who tends to see the silver lining on just about anything, and that's just in life. And so for me, I am constantly finding things within this franchise to be optimistic about. Um, I think the the big thing that happened that sort of stirred things off course was when everybody began uh, to feel as though the major upgrades needed to happen right now, mm -hmm. um, this season, this deadline, mm -hmm. um, where in large part that was because last season during the 60 game season, it was so successful. And so when you saw flashes from some young guys this year and you saw a team that obviously had some missing pieces you don't want to see them sell everyone at the deadline again that's that's the worst feeling from a fan perspective right you know fish stripes is here for the fans and from that perspective anyone who's watching these games day in and day out there's an understandable disappointment of where the major league franchise is at yeah. the very moment um that said just the last week has given you so many different reasons to be hopeful, whether that's Lewin Diaz continuing to show out at the AAA level, Jesus Sanchez coming into his own at the major league level, Brian De La Cruz continuing to hit the baseball at a high yeah. level. You know, it'll he'll slump eventually, but that's it. it looks like a solid addition to your major league organization. You see Edward Cabrera's dominant debut. You see Jesus Lizardo look like, okay, there's flashes. It was a breath of fresh oh, air, right? Yeah. That Lizardo just, start. Right. Yeah. You could take a deep breath more so than even like breath of fresh air positive, more of a deep breath of, I don't have to feel negative. Um, and then obviously Sandy continues to dominate. Right. And, yeah. and you see jazz continue to produce and it's just, you see the workings of, of what the structure can be. I think that what has everyone sort of on edge is can they, and will they, make the necessary three or four moves, whether that's through free agency, whether that's through trades, to take a core and turn it into a great team, right? Because you can have pieces here and there, but unless Jazz and Jesus make some sort of remarkable jump to next season, they are pieces on a winning team, not the centerpieces right now of a winning team. And so you need to continue to add around them. Um, but I don't think that right now I have any more reason to believe that the Marlins aren't in position to do so. Do I believe that they could have made some of those moves at the deadline and it could have all of us in a bigger, you know, a better space and have more morale and, oh, okay, well, the regular season record this year isn't reflective of where they're at. And sure, they could have made those moves now, but we all know the 2022 off season is now a huge off season yeah. for them. Um, and I think that until, until you're put in a position to see that team and you actually see them not make the moves that we hope that they do. And, and all of those things, I have to just from the optimistic perspective, hope that tweaks are on yeah. the way that, that can, that can take the things that you feel positive about and actually elevate them to a, to a positive morale. Um, because I think right now there's there's not a lot of spaces to yeah. deal with. Well, the thing I want to get into, this will kind of lead into something I wanted to talk about today, which is Jake Eater goes down and requires Tommy John surgery, right? Mm. And you mentioned the ability that they have to make the moves necessary 
you know, we talked about Brian Reynolds earlier, something, somebody else at the catcher position, some, you know, a big move like that. Right. And so a lot of people thought that Jake Eater could be a piece in one of those trades. Um, so Isaac, you know, how much does this hurt them, you know, in terms of their ability to make that move? Oh yeah. Well, it shows you how important pitching depth is, you know, as we all say, you can have all, all the pitching depth in the world, but you know, I don't think there's any such thing as enough. So, you know, that hurts a lot. He was really, you know, coming to his own, he was a top 100 prospect now, and he really was having like a phenomenal breakout season. We, there's a small chance we would have seen him maybe late September, probably not for sure would have made his debut sometime next year. So it's tough for the kid, you know, he was really coming into it and, you know, it's going to hurt the Marlins a little bit. I don't know if you want to think about it as like a possible trade chip that they had and maybe less likely now, but overall for the organization, it hurts, but I'm, I'm sure he'll come back stronger than ever. Alex, talk, this kid, I mean, he was maybe the best pitcher in minor league baseball this year. Yeah, no, ridiculous. Uh, really tough to see, man. Uh, nice kid. Um, you know, I got I got to talk to him earlier this year. Really, really nice kid. I hate I hate it for him. Um, but this is what happens when you miss a full season and you're now expected to throw. I think he had 71 innings and he had never thrown 40 innings at all ever in his college career. So the innings took its toll. They're toll on him, and and this is what happens to young pitchers. It sucks, especially guys that that throw like he does a lot of high effort pitches. So. It sucks, man. But, um, you know, it's it's not the end of his career. You know, the Marlins yeah. have done a fantastic job bringing guys back from Tommy John surgery. We can call out multiple names. Uh, Braxton, Jordan Holloway, you know, a, a lot of them. What the Marlins have brought back that could still be usable or good major league pitcher. So he could still make his debut by the time he turns like 24. So it's going to be fine just as long as he can come back and be and stay healthy, uh, which is the big thing. So, uh Hate it for him. Um, sucks that we're not going to get to see him the rest of the year. He had ridiculous video game numbers, as he stated. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 um it's just a bump in the road for him. And I I know knowing his attitude that he'll come back and still be a great asset for the Marlins. Yeah. So, um, you know what what does it do for trade value? Um, honestly, it doesn't kill his trade value if you did want to move him. But the Marlins probably won't get what they would want out of him. So I don't think they're going to move him. I think, as you said, they move on. To other guys, and the Marlins have so much pitching depth to deal from, starting with Meyer and 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 other guys. Pablo, you can throw in there as well if you want to. If you want to go major league guy, um, so yeah, it's 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 probably he's going to be a Marlin, but I'm fine with that. <laughs> Jeremy, I see you itching to talk. Go ahead. Yeah, well, just the one thing on on the trade value that's interesting is I do think that there's a chance that this could influence whether or not Jake Eater is the singular centerpiece of a trade. Right. Yeah. So if there could have been a world where you were swapping Jake Eater, say we, you know, it's like the Max Meyer, Brandon Marsh thing or something like that, where it was Eater instead and you're doing one for one or even using Eater as the main pitcher with supplementary, even younger guys behind him. I think that trade might be out the window. Sure. Uh, but do I think that if you were to be making a big blockbuster trade Package, where yeah. Jake Eater is just one of multiple pitchers going over to an organization, does it change the value there much? Probably not. Because yeah. if an organization's acquiring multiple young pitchers to try to develop over a couple of years, yes, this changes his ETA. And it affects things. He could have been a guy that was making a debut next season. And if a team was itching to get those prospects out there, obviously that helps. But with the overall value of what this guy is, this isn't a major shoulder surgery. This is Tommy John, and we've seen, I mean, it feels like 50% of major league pitchers have had that surgery at some point. It's, yeah. it's almost a rite of passage to be a great major league pitcher and have Tommy John surgery at this point. So well, that's yeah. that's the one element of the trade value that I, I think is is important to look at, is maybe he's not the centerpiece, but he could still be supplementary. Well, it 
feels like there's a few Mar- pitchers within this Marlins organization that are going to need it eventually, right? Like, you know, Sixto mm-hmm. has a shoulder surgery. Tommy John is definitely within his future. He's had a position you know, player get Eddie, Tommy John. Eddie Cabrera, yeah. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're, it, it's, it's, imminent for some of these guys and some of these guys do it early in their careers to get it out of the way and and then look what happens to a Justin Verlander you know some of these guys that come back from Tommy John and they're throwing 100 you know 100 102 into the eighth and ninth inning so Daniel the, the question the first thing I thought of right away is you know obviously the old saying goes you can never have enough pitching but the other thing is you can never have you know you only have pitching depth until you trade it all away or it gets hurt, right? Yeah, and, and with the Marlins, when you look at all their guys, especially their pitching prospects, top three, I believe, in all of the minor league systems, farm systems, guys like Mike Smyer. And I think a guy that probably might get traded is Kyle Nicholas, yeah. who's just been almost just going off. I think if he had a sub-1 ERA recently, he's brought it down, I think within player of the week. And that's a guy that Marlins fans should really keep an eye on because if he continues the way that he's going, especially this season, I think that's a guy that could probably or may, most likely will get traded in, in for a piece, like what Jeremy said, maybe a one-on-one or maybe bring in an outfielder to, to Miami and maybe Kyle Nicholas can just help get Miami over the edge in terms of getting a, a really good outfielder, maybe all-star quality, someone like that, if you just throw in someone like Kyle Nicholas and just sweeten the deal. Uh, Kevin, whether you know, either way you look at it. First of all, by the way, shout out to Jordano Carmona, my boy, in the chat here. Uh, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for coming along. Great, great, uh, just great to have you around. So, Kevin, um, you know, does this, what, either way you look at it, right? It does it make you more scared or more excited that the Marlins might trade Max Meyer in the offseason? It's a little bit of both. I mean, you you could get a center fielder like Brian Reynolds, like we talked about early in the show. This opens actually the window for Max Myers possibly to be getting traded even more now because yep. you you're looking to trade either most likely over Meyer at this point. I mean, and now it's going to be Meyer most likely. He almost got dealt for Brandon Marsh as we saw. It wasn't Eater. I mean, I don't think Eater would have made it enough to get Brandon Marsh at this point. Possibly you may have had to add another guy in there in that deal, but now you have Max Meyer possibly getting dealt this off season. Most likely it's going to be for an outfielder. It would shock me if it's for a pitcher or or even a bullpen guy. It would be pretty shocking in that case. But, yeah, it sucks to see this guy going down. Uh, I would be a little bit excited but scared now that, you know, a guy you invested a very high pick in, like, Mike, and that, you know, was it was it pick number five? Three. 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 Yeah, it was a very high draft pick. You invested in this guy. You you really have to make sure you if you trade him, you have to make sure this trade is going to help you right now instead of the future because if you really wanted help for the future, you would keep Max Meyer and you would let him come up next year. I mean, we have to see what happens, but it's going to be interesting. I don't think Eater gets traded now after the trade, even after the injury. Uh, but it's a it's a big possibility he could still maybe get traded. Uh, I just don't see it happening at least this offseason. Maybe the trade deadline next year, that's, that's a possibility if he's back mm-hmm. by then. Max Meyer possibly getting traded, it's going to happen. I, I think it's going to happen. If it's for a guy like Reynolds, it's going to happen. makes sense, or, right? If- even, even if you include Stallings in that deal, which has been a possibility too, they're going to want Max Meyer even more. Just, just to call it out, because you see the names at the bottom of the screen, but just to call it out on McCambly and Nicholas. Um, I always I said this, I think, during the show, right after they were both called up, a little bit, you know, after each other. Um, you know, the timing of their call-ups to double A was like so weird. 
<laughs> they were yeah. both not doing well at all in Beloit, like not at all. Like I think a couple of, um, I think Nicholas is like two of his last three starts to give up six runs. And then like his last start before he got called up, he gave up three homers. So like, and then he gets called up. And of course he's doing great now in AAA, which is great to see. And then McCambly, I think they called him up when Eater and Meyer went to the Futures game because they needed somebody to yeah. pitch. And he's still there. So I really think that the Marlins are showcasing those guys at the upper levels of yeah. the minors to suitors. Mm-hmm. I really believe that. I think one or both of those names gets traded in the offseason. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And, you know, you talk about Max. Um, Kevin talked about Max, you know, possibly being a part of the rotation next year. But who knows if there's even a spot for him, you know, with Sixto and Edward and Only Pablo and Trevor and Sandy and Lazardo and all these guys. I mean, you know, we where do these guys, guys even fit in? So, um, Jeremy, you know, I guess wrap up this little conversation we're having here. And then I want to ask you specifically about Brian Ella Cruz because you touched on him, but I want to get a full answer from you on him. But yeah. just kind of wrap up on how do the Marlins handle all these arms? I mean, some guys have to go to the pen, right? Like, Sure. I mean, look, when you saw... I'll use an example of the Tampa Bay Rays when they first burst onto the scene in terms of establishing what's really been a 10 to 15 year run here of being competitive, which is crazy (laughs) to think about that. They've really not been bad for any stretch of the last decade or so. Um, But when they did that and they were, a pitching staff with James Shields and Mac Garza and all those guys. And they called up David Price. David Price was used as a reliever until starters left in free agency, and he became the next starter. Um, And I do think that that when you are developing um, as much pitching as is in the system right now, if there were no moves made, there comes a point where you just have to be throwing all of your best arms. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Could I see a world where, like, next year Max Myers used as a late-inning leverage guy if he doesn't make the rotation initially, especially maybe in, like, June or July if they're competing as opposed to right at the beginning of the season? Sure. I don't think that's impossible if a number of these guys are still there. Um, And I also – I'm not, like, eager to trade – all these arms from the system. I do think that everybody's putting a little bit of cart before the horse and forgetting you just see today that Jake Eater gets hurt. That could happen to two guys in the, it's like running mm-hmm. backs with ACLs. Yeah. Like these guys can go down at any time and having 10 legitimately electric arms yeah. in your system is not a bad thing when you're running your team like a small market team. It's just not a bad thing to have that many arms. I'd much prefer to see the Marlins just spend to get a center fielder and a catcher and keep all these arms and let's move on, right? Of course, everybody would prefer that. So when you talk about managing all of them, I'm happy to have too many arms and have a surplus of arms where certain guys are throwing in AAA that you're just like, how is this possible? And they're getting called up later in the year. Um, That being said, when you are managing it, obviously, you have your three guys in Pablo, Trevor, and Sandy. After that, it should be a legitimate competition. And whoever is the best should be your starting rotation. And you should figure out your minor league system and who makes or doesn't make your bullpen from there. Period. Next season. So I don't care if it's a young guy who you're starting his clock 
and somebody else who should be there and maybe isn't. I don't care if Eliezer gets beat out. You figure it out. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, you should just be as competitive as possible starting in 22. And so not to mention, here, yeah, I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, quick follow up. Mm-hmm. We know that Don Mattingly is basically a traditionalist, right? You know, he's an old time baseball guy. He manages games that way. We sure. know that. This question was asked to him, uh, I think, by a member of the media. I forgot who it was, um, but it was on Twitter that he said that he would consider six man rotation. Mm-hmm. Is that at all in the realm of possibility in 2022? I don't think it's impossible. Um, when they've talked about considering it, I think it's something they've actually considered. Like, I don't think that that's lip service um, during spring training when we've heard that. And maybe, maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being persuaded. Uh, but, I, but for the last couple of years, you know, there, there's been re- seemingly real talk of a six-man rotation because of some of these young guys. And then by default, because of injuries, they just haven't been there. And so there's been no need to do it. And then the you get into a regular season. For most of the season. Yeah, when, when you get used to um, a five-man rotation, it's hard to sort of institute that in the middle of the year and also throw off the rhythms of guys like Sandy or Trevor or whoever that are used to starting every single day. Um, so if they were in a position next year where you know, all of a sudden it's the three guys we just said and they decide, hey, hey, Zeus, Edward, and Sixto, we want all of you, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's impossible that they could do a six-man mm-hmm. rotation, um, particularly to limit innings. So, yeah, I think that's in the realm of possibility. Despite, you know, a traditional Don Mattingly, he also this year said how much he likes all of these wacky rules that they've instituted mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. And that he just the other day said that he wants instruments being given out at the beginning of games every single time people <laughs> yeah, walk into Mars. Awesome. You know, that was my favorite. Park. So, yeah, I mean, like, he's evolving. I don't see why the Marlins couldn't on a six-man rotation front either. Yeah, and, you know, none of us even touched on guys like Eliezer and, you know, Jordan Holloway, Zach Thompson, Brax, some of the Nick Neidert, you know, some of these other names. Cody Poteet, yep, that's the one I was thinking of as well. Uh, Castano, you know, some of these other guys that that you can fit all of these guys in there. And, um, you know, obviously some of them will be depth at the AAA level. Some of them will be... You know, bullpen help, but I mean, it's it's crazy. So, uh, but all right, Jeremy, you, you love this guy. We yeah. talked about him a little bit earlier, and basically the question was fourth outfielder or penciled in as a starter next year. Brian De La Cruz, talk to us. I'm not going to say pencil him in as a starter right away. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm I'm not I'm not going to. I'm be... disappointed in you, Jeremy. Yeah, I mean, like, look, I think that Brian De La Cruz is a really good baseball player. Um, I think he is, you know how, um, you remember like Pokemon evolutions, right? Of course. And there was, you know, there's like Charmander and you can get to Charizard through Charmeleon. It's like if Harold Ramirez was Charmander, 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 right? Then Charmeleon is Brian De La Cruz. Okay, but who's Charizard? That's an important question. Charizard, Charizard's Michael Brantley. Okay. Okay. Not <laughs> a bad know? comparison. Not a bad like comparison that, right? at all. Yeah. We'll say that. Right. So we'll say these sort of complete players, in a way, like have all the tools in a way, uh, but aren't always going to show all of them off. Um, but the thing that I've in, I've really enjoyed about Brian De La Cruz is like it doesn't really seem to matter where the ball is pitched. He's just hitting the ball where it's pitched, um, mm-hmm. and I know that that really is an oversimplification of hitting 
But when you've seen so many guys come up and be totally incapable of doing that, it is a breath of fresh air, as we mentioned before, to see someone come up and have real major league at-bats. Yeah. Um, and I know that that just seems like I understand what I'm saying is almost a backhanded compliment, but I don't intend it to be. Um, I think that Brian De La Cruz is a terrific, terrific defensive center fielder. I think that his luck in terms of hitting the ball has certainly been high, as you can see on the bottom line of this right now. But I also think that when you're a guy, sometimes like, I won't say it's better lucky to be good, but I think you also sometimes create your own luck. Mm -hmm. Like your type of approach does affect your batting average on balls in play. When you're hitting the ball hard to all fields, that's different than just hitting fly balls every single time you're up and hoping it goes out of the ballpark. Uh, and how many guys have we seen come up for the Marlins do that? Just try to hit yeah. the ball all as hard as they can every single time in the air. And all of them. They've, yeah, they've struggled. I mean, they all, like uh, almost all of them. And so Brian A. La Cruz was, for what it's worth, not taught in the Marlins minor league system <laughs> over here now and hitting the baseball. And I don't even mean that. I don't even mean that to be a criticism of the Marlins, but he's showing up and he's hitting. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong. I don't think that he's going to be a 350 hitter ever, uh, you know, forever. Um, but I do think that when you, the type of approach that Brian De La Cruz has is perfect for a fourth outfielder, but it's yeah. also great if if you're a good team and he's playing left field and batting eighth. Like, he's playing left mm -hmm. field and batting eighth on a bad team, and he's hitting the ball better than anybody else in the lineup. Mm -hmm. But if he was your left fielder and batting eighth on a lineup in a lineup that was legitimately productive, he's actually kind of a stereotypically perfect eight hitter on one of those types of teams. Yeah, put and, the bat on the ball, and not to yeah. mention that you know the next year, right? If he's hitting eighth, he doesn't have the pitcher behind him in all likelihood because probably the DH not. is probably going to be around. So he'll probably exactly. have. I think Miguel Rojas is a great option to hit ninth. Uh, you know, he's a guy that can turn the lineup over really well. De La Cruz could be an option to turn the line over lineup over as well. So you know, it, it makes a big difference. But I mean, look at you know, talk, we'll put some numbers on it and wrap it up. 863 OPS, 137 weighted runs created plus, only a 26% K rate. So it feels like he's been King a lot, but not at an astronomical level like we've seen from other prospects that come up. He's about a 20% K rate guy in the minors, so can expect it to go down even a little more. Only a 6% walk rate. You'd like to see that go up a little bit, but, um, you know, good numbers, a little more power if he can tap into it, get a little stronger, and maybe he can make that evolution into Charizard. So, uh, or, or Michael Bradley. Stat. Interesting DLC stat before you move on, Ethan. Yeah. Um, among guys with over 100 at bats in Major League Baseball, Brian De La Cruz has the second highest batting average by balls in play, 470 for the season. There's one guy higher than him. Guess who it is? Michael Bradley. <laughs> Brandon Marsh. Brandon Ooh, Marsh. Wow. 486. That's crazy. So there you go. That's and, perfect. And you know what? Since we're talking about Brandon Marsh, let's give a little bit of update on him because I think all Marlins fans that are really tuned into the team are going to be following him pretty closely the rest of the year. And it's looking a lot better. Um, you know, I saw him go deep the other night. Twenty. Uh, he's hitting 279, 109 weighted runs, created plus. Um, 9.8 walk percentage. So 
pretty good. Um, you know, hovering around 10%. K rate astronomical, 39.2%, 745 oh. OPS. Um, he does have one home run so far. Uh, so, you know, keeping up with him, watching it get a little better every day. The K rate is obviously really, really high. It's above anything he's ever done in the minor leagues. So it'll, it should come down to earth a little bit, but that's a guy, Marlins fans, you've got to absolutely keep an eye on. Um, if because we all know he was after being traded for Max Yeah, Meyer, exactly. This yeah, entire exactly. show would be about that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, certainly a guy to keep an eye on, um, you know, as we head into the offseason because that tra- trade could certainly be in play. So, all right, we're getting towards 7 o'clock. Usually that would be like prediction time, but we've got a little more time here because the Marlins don't actually play tonight. So let's talk about this Mets series coming up. So the Marlins haven't seen the Mets in what feels like forever, and let's just all go ahead and do this now. Eli, go ahead and take a picture of us all hitting the booth. We obviously, the Mets, they just can never get out of their own way. It seems like every single year, right, they have something like this. It's just crazy to me. It's just, and, and it's not even like, you know, a, a huge controversy. It's like the dumbest controversy <laughs> that anyone could ever possibly imagine. It's not a controversy. Like the Everybody guy, agrees. Like that the guys, the dumbest well, you thing know ever. what it is? It is a controversy because now it's on the, it's on the tabloids. It's on the back page of, of, you know, the New York post or whatever. It's a big deal. And, and it seems like something like this happens to the Mets Every single year. And I guess it's pretty perfect that a Mets fan bought the team and it's still happening to them because Steve Cohen has probably lived this his entire, um, you know, hedge fund, uh, you know, illegal life or whatever you want to call it. But I mean, it's just crazy to me that they can never get out of their own way. They have this whole thing. Javi Baez comes in, who we all know has a big personality, clearly doesn't like to be booed. And I wouldn't like to be booed either. Obviously, in New York, you're going to get that a little more than in other places. But man, I mean, I can understand the Mets frustrations. You know, they they've had a really tough year. And they need um extra motivator, you know, um, and and their fans gave it to them. You know, I remember I'm a Gator fan, obviously, and I remember like Felipe Franks, he was hated by the fans up here. They gave him so much shit. And um he, you know, he got benched one game and then he comes back and he scored a touchdown and he shushed the crowd. And I personally loved it. Like I thought it was great. Fans were pissed off at it because fans never like one. They're called out for doing, you know, things bad, but we're allowed to call, you know, players out whenever they do anything. So um, who who wants the floor here? Uh, you know, I think Noah had a rant in store. So Noah, Clearly. Noah, go ahead, man. So I have to preface this, preempt this with my father's a Mets fan and has been his entire life. <laughs> so the At Mets four. are kind of a third team for me. It, it's for me. It's the Marlins, the Orioles, and and, and interesting, the, the Orioles because my my family is very close with Dan Duquette. Um, I am, I'm laughing here as a Marlins fan at what's going on. I'm disgusted as a as a third team Mets fan. You don't do that in New York. Yeah, you just don't. Chicago, okay, you can do. That. You don't do that in New York ever. You can't get away with that, especially when yeah. your team went from first place to yeah. third in a matter of weeks. Yeah. And you're going That's like this point. to the crowd because they're booing you because you suck. 
<laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, no, you know, no, that's a good point because I, I've kind of been, I'll admit, I, I've been kind of pro player on this, especially because you guys know I love Javi. I've been a little pro player on this, but it's a good point. Like, I love Javi you can, too. of all places, New York and Philly, probably, right? Like, that's where you can't do it. Jeremy, I see you itching to get in here. Go ahead. I just think that I don't understand why it's a problem for anyone. Why can't the Mets fans yeah. do the things that Mets fans do? Yeah. And why can't Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor yeah. put their thumbs down yeah. and everyone hope that it means that they win? It would <laughs> be the most perfect, just the most perfect Mets season for the fans and the players to hate each other on a way to the World <laughs> yeah. Series. By like, the way, by the way so I'm Mets. totally on that. Yeah. Like, I've never seen a more New York Mets thing. Yeah, no, definitely. To be at odds. So Especially like Noah mentioned going from first to third in a matter perfect. of weeks. Like, yeah, it's perfect. It, just if, if that's what it takes, if the thumbs down is something that's uniting the players, like the fans should let it go. Have thicker skin. If you expect the players to have thick skin, like they can't give it. It's not like they were giving fans the bird. Like, yeah. It's a thumbs down. In Although fact, that would have truly been Mets. No, it would have been really hilarious if from a Mets fan. If a team instead of Loviste went into just flicking guys off. Yeah, right. Might be next. Might be next. But it's, might it's be next. like it's. I just don't understand why it's that big of a deal to the fans. Yeah. Like they're so offended that oh, hot. and what it is is it's an outsider thing. It's Javi yeah. Baez and Francisco Lindor aren't mm -hmm. guys who have been there for a while. If you know, Mr. Hero, who played like 12 games, David Wright, you know, would have stepped back on a field ever and been out there doing the same thing after he got booed because he couldn't play. Then everybody would have been fine because David Wright's a hero. But Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor are foreign to Mets. Jerry, so did you did you just hop on here and crush David Wright? Yeah, for no yeah. reason. For no reason. Oh, for no reason. Because I love David Wright. He was one of my favorite players I ever watched as a kid when he was with the Mets. He was the best. He's awesome. What a class act. I love him. But if he would have done and it, his so career you know, ruined by like head by injuries, injuries and by, Jeremy by just totally out of him. his control. I love it. I Completely love it. and utterly out of his control. But it's a way to take a swipe at Mets fans in saying, no, guys, 100%. just relax. Like, and if it was, if it was Jacob deGrom making those jokes, they wouldn't care because he'd been there long enough to have earned their like, also, oh, you he get he it. Also hasn't played any, he also can't play right now because he's injured. So well, right. but, David Wright. Um, you understand? Yeah, but you understand what I'm saying <laughs> in terms of, of, of Baez and Lindor. Like those two specific guys are the dudes who, who could not do this. And that's why yeah. Mets fans are so mad yeah. because they're the one. But if the whole team was in on it, like I think that that's part of it is like if this became a team wide thing, I actually don't think Mets fans would be mad. That's the yeah. irony. Is that if if this was everyone, they wouldn't care. But because it's specifically the guys who they don't think are performing yeah. to the expectations that they have specifically from the stands, yeah. not you know the whole team's losing. It's not just Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor losing. It's the whole team. And if the whole team was united, they wouldn't care. It's just it's an irony that I, I can't really get past there. I don't know. And and like I said earlier, it's pretty entitled fan to boo somebody. Right. And then get mad when somebody boos you back. Like, right. you know That's what I mean? True. Quietly. So, um, Isaac, you one more one more thing on. This. Yeah, go ahead. I, the Marlins have a perfect opportunity here to just crush Mets fans spirits by 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 taking the season series. Oh, it, it just would be the icing on That'd the proverbial cake for for Marlins fans to just. Oh, perfect.
The Marlins well, see the happen, Mets a lot down the stretch. Just you know, go yeah. go ahead, Alex. But we'll talk about that in a sec. Yeah, just a quick thing for me on this. What I agree with what Jeremy said. You know, you're gonna boo the crap out of the guy when he's sucking, and then he does something good, and he can't do the same thing back to you. Like get over yourselves. What what can't happen on that team is what their owner is doing and yeah. going on Twitter yeah. and calling out players publicly on Twitter. Yeah. That's horrendous. That I find happen. that hilarious. But... I, I, I mean, that's so bad that the owner of the team, and you said it, Ethan, that he came in, he's a lifelong Mets fan. He wants the teams to succeed. Of course he does. He wouldn't have bought the team and put all this money into the team if he didn't want that to happen. But then when things aren't going right, you're going to go slander your own employees on Twitter. Like, I wouldn't want my boss to do that to me. I doubt Jeremy would want his boss to do that to him. Nope. Ethan, you wouldn't want Eli to do that to you. Nope, so, I'm good. You know, of course, these guys are playing a competitive sport, and you know, winning is what matters most, especially to a team that's really going for it, right? But you can't go on Twitter and just slander players like that. That was yeah. horrendous. I hated to see that for everybody in that organization, even though it's the Mets. And yeah, I guess you can kind of look at it and say, yeah, same old Mets, but that's just that's so bad. Anyways. Kevin, um, let's let's so that's going to be hovering over the Mets all series, right? And this is a four game series. All the rest of the season, it's, yeah, for sure. And and it, you know, four game series starts tomorrow with this weird doubleheader, right? So it picks up in the middle of an at bat, I'm pretty sure. And it was Corey Dickerson's at bat, who obviously is no longer on the team. So Five it'll it'll probably be Jesus Sanchez or Brian De La Cruz, I would imagine, in Corey Dickerson's spot. And yeah. then <laughs> there are five players, I think, not on, no five longer on the, the team. Yeah, five of the nine on the team, including the starting pitcher. Um, so John Curtis started the game because the Marlins knew what was going to happen. He didn't throw didn't a wanna, pitch. Didn't, didn't want to burn an arm. Yeah, did not throw a pitch. I don't even think we got through the top of the first inning. No, no, yeah. No. Um, no, Jesus, right. I know that Jesus Aguilar batted right, and then I can't two balls remember. in the third. And then they call the game. Yeah, and Marte. We have a runner on, have a runner on first. Marte flew one out. Dickerson got a hit. Who's the runner on first? Who's it was the Dickerson. So Dickerson. Okay, Dickerson was the runner on first. So Jesus Sanchez. I think the Marlins right. should get to borrow Starling Marte for the day. So no, like, not for not just it's for this game. Over. Like they should get him for the day, right? So he gets to play both games for the Marlins and then go back to Oakland. I think that's how that works. That's um, I hope that's how that works. In fact. Why don't you just keep? You know, he can't go back to Oakland. Too much travel. Just keep him for the rest of the season. Um, so that would be that would be really great if the Marlins could end up with Starling Marte for the rest of the season. But he's on technically on the lineup. They're just going to replace all these guys. That's within the rule book that they can just replace all the guys. So Marte Jazz, will be out. Jazz is going to have to bat six, and Miggy's going to have to bat seven. Yeah. So Jazz will. I don't know who what the lineup looks like. I know it's Duvall, Marte. Dickerson and Co- uh, did Cooper Wallach. and Wallach. Wallach. Ah, Wallach. Chad Wallach. Big Red. Big Red throwing that back. So, um, Isaac, I know you haven't been a fan. I- I've heard from you that you don't like these seven-inning games. Yeah. Um, so why not? I-, I-, I personally am a fan of them, but wh- why not? Well, I know they're like convenient. You know, you have a doubleheader. You have pitchers you need to take care of. I understand that, you know, it is convenient to the manager and everything. But you know what? The Little League World Series and on those – the Little League World Series is on. Those games are six innings. My high school baseball games and Jeremy's high school baseball games are seven innings. Yep. You know, and the minor league, but doubleheaders are also nine in, uh, seven innings. This is Major League Baseball, guys. It has never been a seven-inning game ever, unless, you know, it was like cut out because of rain. 
I think, you know, there's major leagues, you play nine innings, you can do that. You can call up a, uh, an extra roster guy for those double headers. I think there's no reason that we shouldn't be having nine inning double headers. They used to be scheduled back in the day. They used to be scheduled double headers that were nine innings. So I don't know why we can't continue with that. But hey, that was a that was a COVID thing that they did in 2020, which I'm sure was, you know, that was smart. But I think now that we're back in, you know, 2021, 2022, I would go back to the, you know, the traditional baseball rules. But that's I'll just- say this. Uh, as Cubs Cubs fan, as baseball purist, I want the scheduled doubleheader back right. really badly, yeah. and Nine that's kind of why I wanted like the seven inning because it just made more sense. Don't have to eat as many innings. Jeremy, you're ch- gnawing at the bit right here, man. You're ready to get in here. Talk to me. Well, I just I love I like I think the scheduled sub seven inning doubleheader should be something done once, once a month. Once a month. Once a month. It'd be great. Because we finally have a doubleheader here, not for whatever. But we talk about and I and Isaac, I agree with you in the general sense of nine inning game, major league baseball, how it's always been played. Right. On the flip side, starting pitchers are going four innings, and we're calling that a good thing. Like this is not this is not the same major league baseball. It's not, and until it is then what does it matter if you're playing the occasional game that's a couple of innings less? The records don't mean anything ever since the steroid era. The records right. certainly don't mean anything in the version of baseball that we're playing now because you're going to have guys, at this rate, you'll have a guy hitting 285 leading the league and hitting in a few right. years. Like, <laughs> I mean, very seriously. Like, counting stats are just not... Counting stats yeah, are of the past. And so if you're talking about making something that's a more entertaining product that you're trying to get people to be there, I'd rather go to a Sunday scheduled or even a Saturday scheduled two games that are seven innings a piece. I'm getting a couple of results, especially if people started treating it like the Marlins treated it last year where Sandy was throwing complete games in seven inning games. Like if teams were treating seven inning games like we did in high school, like you mentioned, where the ace was going out there and throwing and it's two guys head to head. You've got seven innings. And so you in your brain, you can game plan. You know what? Yeah, I can get through seven innings. We're going to do this, and you're seeing four pitchers really go at it for the day with a closer, maybe. That's fun. Like, yeah. And if you started scheduling those, that's fun, man. Especially, imagine a four-game like imagine a four game weekend series, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Four doubleheaders with four yeah. starters going at the, you know once a month, and you're building off days around it so that that way, yeah. like, you know – that that's Pretty your cool. doubleheader weekend and it's happening all across major league baseball. And you've got programming cool. like Sunday ticket where you can go back and forth between all yes. these games and they're starting at 11 AM and they're ending at, you know, men. I just think that there's such an opportunity because seven inning games feel like you're snorting baseball. Like it, yeah. it's crazy how <laughs> so eliminating cool. two innings. Yeah. It's crazy how eliminating two innings changes so much. So that's I what I that thought about would, them during COVID is it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's crazy how you're right. How much just two knocking two innings off the game crazy. makes it so much shorter and changes the strategy so much. Completely. And and one I, I want to will say about like yeah. the seven inning doubleheader and the nine inning doubleheader that if you're gonna do seven inning games, you have to pair it with another game. You can't do two separate seven. Inning, you can't do the day right. night like we're having tomorrow with oh, no, the yeah, first game at seven at first game at one, which is gonna be nine innings. And then the regular paid seven o'clock game is only yeah. seven innings. I mm. no, sorry, it doesn't, well, not it okay. doesn't make any sense to me to, you know, if you're going to continue this game to then play seven innings. But um, this this one's certainly a weird one. But 
uh, I, I want to get into what the how the Marlins should handle this tomorrow. Um, because there's the early game, and that's a nine inning game, and they need a starting pitcher. And oh, yeah, then yeah. there's the seven inning game. So I think it's probably Eliezer and Edward. Am I right? Eliezer and Edward guys? are the two. Yeah, want, are the two guys? I want guys? Eliezer in that second game to throw a complete game. Thompson is listed. Well, okay, they ESPN has this all off because they haven't because they have that game probably as like the April game on their schedule. But so Eliezer and Cabrera are the guys. So Kevin, which one are you starting in the nine inning game, and which one are you starting in the seven inning game? The nine inning game is the first one. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, probably Edward. Then I want to see, mm-hmm. as Noah said, Eliezer shut out in the seventh and in seven innings. That'd be nice. No, yeah, Edward. I think it, it makes sense for him to go in the first one. Uh, you know, it's the game already started too. It, it just makes more sense to put Edward in there. It doesn't really matter which one you put where either, but I think you want to see Edward go nine innings. Elias has already been proven. You know, you want to see what the guy does in a nine inning game. I think he, John Curtis didn't even pitch, so <laughs> I mean, we'll just have to see what happens. I mean, Edward, hey, Edward's gonna make his uh bullpen debut for the Marlins at least. <laughs> Technically, I, yes, yeah. Technically, that's, uh, that's about it. Daniel Rodriguez, so my question is, okay, Eliezer, we know he's kind of a five, six, maybe guy, right? So do you want that five, maybe six in a seven-inning game, or would you rather that in a nine-inning game, and then maybe you get a chance, you know, if Edward pitches well at a complete game, or you only have to use one bullpen arm? I think I would use Eliezer in the seven-inning game. Probably because I think you get a lot from it. If you put him in there, I think he could probably give you a complete game. If not, maybe six innings, throw in Bender in the seventh. Marlins have that game. But I think you'd rather have Eddie be, be in the longer game, be in a nine-inning game. He still has a fresh arm coming up in the majors, only pitched one game. And I think you throw him in there in the nine-inning game. He'll give you a solid six, seven, and maybe even give you a complete game at nine. Who knows? especially mm-hmm. this season. But I think the safe bet will be Eliezer for seven and then have Eddie for the nine-inning game. Well, the one thing you really don't want is you don't want the first game to get away from you, right? right? Because you don't want to fry your bullpen for the second game and then the rest of the series and the Marlins don't have an off day for the rest of the week, right, Alex? Yeah, my, my argument for the other way to go with Eddie in the shorter game would be this. Get sit in the dugout and look at these Mets hitters, right? Yeah. Look at what, look at what they're doing. Look at, look at what they're swinging at. Look at what they're not swinging at. This yeah. is a guy making a second start. And then, as you said, you can't burn the bullpen. You, that's that can't happen. So, yeah, I would. I if it's me personally, um, I would go with Eliezer in the first game and Edward in the second game just to let him scout okay. the hitters a little bit. That's me. Yeah, I agree. So, right, I, before, right before I know Jeremy might have to leave soon, I just want to like finish that argument we were having really quick, you know, because it's been on the tip of my tongue. So, you know, it kind of doesn't it like delegitimize a little bit. Like if you have started having seven inning games. Sorry to like change off topic, but um, is a is a full is a no hitter in a seven inning game a no hitter? Mad bum, Mad bum. absolutely. Mad bum have a no hitter. Absolutely. How, yeah. how can you say game that? Game finished. It's over. They completed a game there. It doesn't matter. Seven inning no hitters and no hitter. It's a no yeah, hitter. Guys, no hitters are so devalued in this game. Yeah, like, no, that's a good point, so especially like, this year. The only yeah. argument the week might have is a seven inning perfect game, right? Because yeah. there's so few of those. Okay. To yeah. where if you have a seven-inning perfect game, are you counting that as a perfect game? To which I would argue no, because a perfect game is it's 27 up. so rare and is 27 outs, and yeah. that is something that's different. I'll give a seven-inning perfect game a no-hitter. 
right? Or, mm, and then a seven mm-hmm. inning no hitter, I'll also give the no hitter because the no hitter is so devalued. There's been like 12 of them this season because guys strike out so much. Yeah. And so a few of it, them have been on seven inning games though. Like they are more frequent. Yeah. yeah no, and they're, and they're, of course. But I just think that, yeah, like if you're talking about those specific records, sure. Like I, you're right. Some of those things are going to go away. Like it stinks. But yeah. I also like, I've seen so much of the game that like, I'm a few years older. Like me and Alex, I think are are closer to the same age. Right. But I think I'm I'm older than you, but yeah, you're older than me. (laughs) No, but you and I, honestly, you and I saw a different game than everybody else here. has seen. Because of a few years of age. What we watched as kids was different than what you guys watched. Even me, man. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a few years younger than you guys. And I, the game I watched in 2008, even until like, the stat cast arrow, right? Until let's say like 2015. That cast changed everything. Yeah, I think that everything really that's when everything really kind of changed. And cool. uh, you know, yeah, when so I was growing up, to prove Jeremy's point, when I when I was yeah. growing up and going to games at the old stadium, and I was there when Al Leiter threw his no-hitter against the Colorado Rockies, it was like the biggest thing ever. ever. Like yeah. people were screaming, yelling, leaving the stadium. Like it was probably next to the world series games, like the most rowdy Marlins game I've ever been to. And I don't think you'll ever see something like that again, just because it's happening so often. It's happening. You know, you got seven inning games that it's happening in now. And when he did it, it was like, it of course was the first one in Marlins history. It had never been done. It's an expansion franchise. And people were so about it. And then now it's happening. It's like, Oh yeah, he threw a no hitter. So I, then, I don't think it'll ever be that way again. And then I'll another thing is, you know, sorry, Jeremy, with counting stats, you know, Miggy just got, gets 500 home runs, right? Who's the next guy that's going to get 500? Trout, maybe? Not Nelson Cruz. Guys, guys don't play every day anymore. So counting stats, nobody's really compiling anymore. And it makes some of these records unbreakable. Bonds is never going to be touched. I don't think Bonds is ever going to be touched. Or Pete Rose is certainly never going to be touched. Cal Ripken that was an unbreakable touched. record. Cal Ripken, no chance. Nobody never. even plays that 162 anymore. What is less for, get broken. for 20 seasons or whatever it was, you know? And but yeah, I mean, it's completely different. And and you're right, like you know, it just. This I don't know. Of, the, when I was looking at those stats, I was like, say, hey, go ahead, in their 20s complaining that the game's not the same. The game is – get off my goddamn really funny. You know, I'm really looking at – I really want to go back and, like, line uh-huh. up the video of Al Leiter's no-hitter versus, like, Henderson Alvarez's no-hitter and just see the difference. <laughs> Probably oh the that, is, that is the greatest no-hitter of all time. The nothing-nothing yeah. nothing into the ninth that inning. Was yeah. was that was – Walk that? off on deck. Last game of the season. <laughs> I remember watching that right after Rosh Hashanah. No, yeah. right after Douglas. Yeah, yeah. It was like literally as the holiday ended. Right, I turned was, on the TV and something. he's throwing a no hitter. I, I, I want to get back into get get us back on track for just one second. And I'm looking at the game day, the MLB game day for this game, <laughs> and Jesus Aguilar is standing at plate with a 3.20 average, 7.60 OPS, and zero home runs. Um, <laughs> Jazz Chisholm Jr. is hitting 200. Chad Wallach is hitting 231. Marte is hitting 323, which he might still very well be doing. Um, <laughs> Brian Anderson is hitting 160. And Adam Duvall is hitting 136. Uh, as 
As for the Mets, they really don't have that many guys. I can't, I remember Eli or Fish Stripes tweeted out the lineup. Um, I don't. The only guy they, they have like Giorme. one year. They have yeah, Guillerme is the Giorme. one guy that is not available for them He's anymore. Injured. He's not on the team. And then when you look at the bench, like I'm not sure Almora is still with the club. He might be in AAA. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the lineup shakes out. If you look at it, so Dickerson was leading off. He's got to be replaced. That'll probably be Jesus. Well, it's in left, so it might be De La Cruz. De La Cruz. Uh, and then Marte's in center. That could also be De La Cruz. Aguilar will stay in. Anderson is luckily back from injury. He'll stay in. Right field will probably be Sanchez hitting fifth. That makes the most sense for him. They like to keep him there. Jazz will get to see him hitting sixth again. Miggy Rowe is hitting seventh. Whichever catcher starts will be hitting eighth, and then it's going to be whichever pitcher. So it's going to be a really interesting game. Jorge Alfaro to lead off? Yeah, I think Jorge Alfaro should just play shortstop. I think you should just switch Alfaro for Rojas and just ride it out for one game. That would be legendary. All right, we it's seven twenty one, and I think Jeremy's got to run. Um, and and I'm getting a little hungry and everything, and so let's just get into this. You know, this is four game set with the Marlins. They play the Mets, Mets. three more times in, in, in three more series with the Mets, and a lot of the division. You're going to be seeing a lot of the division to wrap up this year. Um, the Marlins only have two series outside the division the rest of the way. They go four with the Mets here, then turn right back around. They come home, they get Philly, they get New York again, then they get New York again uh, at the end of the year, right before the last series with the Phillies. So a lot of the division here. So it's prediction time, no game tonight, but two games tomorrow, two games on Wednesday and thir- a game on Wednesday and Thursday apiece. Jeremy Teche, you are our special guest. You are in the leadoff hole. Give us give us what do you think happens tomorrow and then what happens in the whole series. I hate that you guys made me go first. <laughs> it's the worst. Now I don't know what the barometer is and I don't know what sounds right. No. Uh I'll say I'll say I'll say they split tomorrow and they split the series. Two okay. and two. All right. Kevin Baral, come on in. I think I might have to go with Jeremy here. Yeah, Marlins are gonna split it two two. Sandy's gonna win the start. I think they'll win the if 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 Eliezer goes in the seventh. I think they'll win that one. So yeah, split two two. Isaac, uh, I think it'll either go one of two ways. Either we win three out of four, or we lose three out of four or get sweat for that matter. Because the Mets are either gonna like continue right. going down yeah. with the nonsense surrounding them, or they're gonna say, you know what, we have to kill these Marlins. So. <laughs> just for you know optimistic state sake i'll say we went three out of four i think edward and eliezer sweep the doubleheader tomorrow maybe they lose on wednesday and sandy can, uh, sandy gets a series win on thursday if they sweep the doubleheader tomorrow they're winning all four yeah we're <laughs> yeah we're yeah, i feel like we're, the mets we're getting reckless if the, you're yet. telling me the mets can respond to at home yeah left by the marlins zero percent in a doubleheader after everything that's going on yeah no it, it's it's a good point, Jeremy. And Sandy's on the mound, and who else is on the mound? Lazard, uh, no, not Lazardo. Looks like Thompson will be the will be on I, Wednesday. I think the only game we possibly lose is one of the doubleheader games. 
other than that, if it, I, I think we're sweeping the series. I honestly think right. we're sweeping the series. No, last, time, no, last time we had a Mets series, I picked three out of four, and we took three out of four. I'm confident tomorrow. with the Mets series. I, I think if we if we sweep the doubleheader tomorrow, we are definitely sweeping the series. Eternal optimist Noah Berger. The, the Marlins in. are the king of doubleheaders, guys. We was was they killed the doubleheaders last year, didn't they? Great. They were tremendous. That was our only reason we year. made the playoffs. Doubleheaders. <laughs> Alex Carver, go ahead with your prediction for this series. Um, geez. I mean, well, let's just look at it. The A's are in Detroit, so maybe uh, Starling Marte gets a, a flight out for the early game. And <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. You no, know, that'd be good. Um, Adam Duvall, you know, maybe we could get him back too. It'd be nice, but no. Um, it'd be nice to have him, yeah. Yeah, but anyways, um, I guess, I guess I'll say, um, I'll say, I'll say three or four. All right. Um, you know, I, I think, I think Eddie builds off of the start that he had. Um, yeah here of course um i think he will i think he should start the second game as i mentioned before um you got eliezer see what you can get out of him did pretty well his first time out so yeah um and then thompson i, I really i keep saying this about him the guy just turns in quality innings i mean his last two starts both five innings three or less runs era still sitting in the threes i, I like that guy man i i think he's solid i think he's a little underrated but it's a guy that's just done everything that he's at been asked to do and then you got Sandy too. So I, I think that they will lose one of those games, probably one of the doubleheader games I would say they would lose. And then they take the other three. So yeah, that's that's my prediction. I'll say three out of four. Daniel Rodriguez. Go Someone ahead, man. say one and three or, or <laughs> oh, and four. somebody. Come on. I'll keep it short and simple. Marlins sweep. I, I think right. the thumbs oh, down wow. thing is going to get overblown. <laughs> that's the only thing that's going to get into their head. Lindor, Baez, why are you going to take over? Four nothing sweep. We're setting yeah. ourselves up for heartbreak, man. Oh, yeah, we we're are gonna get swept. Um, uh, we're Marlin you fans. We know you heartbreak. Three and one yourself. Me? I know. I know. I know. <laughs> You're setting yourself up for heartbreak. Yeah, I didn't think everyone else was gonna follow me. Right. All right, you guys know what I do in every four-game series. I oh, never yeah. see either team Always winning three or more split. games. It's going to be a split. So I never do it. I'm the, I'm the. Uh, hey, if I'm the realist on this stream, I'll take that title. I'll wear it with pride. So I'm the I, I, I'm the split Alex master. You know, I, it's just when you look at a four-game series, especially the circumstances of this one, I can never see either team winning three games. Though I wouldn't be surprised if the Mets come out and play great, or also if they completely fall apart and the Marlins go ahead and sweep like some of you guys have said. So I'm going to go ahead and go with the timid prediction of a little a little split. Um, and I think Eddie pitches really well, and, and Sandy, uh, I think they'll win Sandy's game. So yeah. I don't know if they'll which game in the doubleheader they'll win, but I think they'll win one of them as well. And so... All right, that it's been great. A uh, little special edition Fish Stripes Live went a little longer than usual because of the unusual circumstances. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us, man. We, it was course, great man. to have you. For Eli behind the scenes, for Kevin, for Isaac, for Noah, for Daniel, for Alex, and for Jeremy, make sure to check out Miami Mic'd Up. I know Jeremy would love for Thank us you. to shout that out. Jose Reina, as always, bringing us good luck. Always. From Daniel's opening day 2022 starter. Yeah, from from Daniel's yeah. immense chair, as uh, Peter Pratt would say, I'm Ethan Budowski. Enjoy the doubleheader tomorrow. Enjoy the series, guys, and we'll talk to you on Friday.